Deuteronomy 18.18, I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Jude 1.24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody here on this Nice last day of September, ready for fall to, to set in. As some of you know, I've started a new job, and one of the perks of the job is that at the end of the staff meetings, uh, we close in prayer. And so go around the table or get in groups and pray. I hadn't done that in like 27 years in corporate IT, so that's kind of cool. And one of the interesting things that happened a couple weeks ago is one of my coworkers was, was praying and he interrupted himself, kind of. He was still talking to the Lord, so I guess he was, you know, it was still prayer. He said, and Lord, I am going to tell these guys that joke that I've been thinking about this morning as soon as we're done here. So, you know, my, my mind zeroed in on what this joke was going to be after it was done, and I couldn't wait till it was done. But I'm not going to tell you the joke. I'm just going to tell you that after we pray, I'll give you a riddle, which is not going to be funny, but it'll be related to the subject this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning that we can talk about you and that we can come into your presence in full confidence before God because of your work on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are greater than all that have come before and than all that will come after. And that this morning, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts pray that all that is said would bring honor and glory to your name, and I pray uh, that the meaning and the burden of the text that we have before us would be clear. Just ask this in your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So here's the riddle. An apostle, a high priest, a builder, and a son walk into a restaurant, and the host or hostess uh, walks up and says, will it just be one today? So who, who, is the, who is the one? It's just the classic Sunday school answer, so go ahead, Alec. Jesus, Jesus that's right, Jesus. And that's, the, that's really the subject of the book of Hebrews, and we're in our fourth week, I believe, in the book of Hebrews. Um, I've been enjoying it. It's my current favorite book, um, because of that very fact that it is all about Jesus and how much greater Jesus is. And so this, we got this cool graphic that Mike put together for us. Jesus is greater. He's greater than everything. And specifically in the book of Hebrews, it kind of goes through systematically and addresses various aspects of Judaism. And so I think that the audience of this book is former Jews, or people who are Jews and are considering Christianity. And so what we've already had is that Jesus is greater, and he's greater than the prophets. We had that in chapter 1. Uh, he's greater than the angels. The angels were the messengers that delivered the law. 
and they were often used as spokespeople to the children of Israel. Um, he's greater than creation. Creation will pass away, but Jesus will not pass away. He brings a greater and a better message, and with that greater and better message, there's also a greater and more terrible consequence of ignoring the message. Uh, we had that in chapter 2. And then today we're going to move on to chapter 3, contrary to what it says 2, 1 through 6. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, after studying that for a month, you would think I would know it was chapter 3. But today we're going to see that he's greater than Moses as well. So there are, it seems, you know, Hebrews is a little different than some of the other letters that we have in the, in the New Testament. And it doesn't start out and say, to the church here, or to so-and-so, it, you know, it jumps right in and says, God spoke to us many times, many ways in the past, and now he's spoken to us through his son. And it goes on and just compares Jesus to Judaism and various aspects of Judaism. So I think the audience is Jews. But there's also reference to brothers, and our, our chapter is going to start out with a reference to brothers, but as you look at the different references to brothers throughout Hebrews, it seems evident that there's different meanings to that. And that word can mean any number of things, anything from the child of the same father and mother to a fellow countryman. And so the word brothers in and of itself doesn't tell you too much about the association other than that there is association between two people. And so we look at the context, and throughout the book, it seems like some of the brothers may not be fully convinced believers in Jesus Christ. And so there's, the author is kind of encouraging and warning those kind of brothers to draw closer to Jesus. And there's some that are believers, but they're going through a lot of persecution because of what, they're, what they believe and what they profess publicly. And so there's that encouragement, you know, hold fast. The, the discipline of God is for good. Um, and so, this morning, we're going to look at some more aspects of Jesus in Hebrews, and it is, um, there's kind of two in these first six verses. I, I tried to pull out, what are the instructions? You know, what, what is the action coming out of these first six verses? And I really came up with only two. And one was kind of indirect, and the first one is, consider Jesus. And the second one is to hold fast to our confidence and our boasting of hope. And that one is a little more indirect, but we'll see that when we get to the end of it. And so those are the two things that we want to do as a result of this passage. And they're kind of bookended at the beginning, says consider Jesus, and at the end, it says to hold fast to our confidence. So this morning, I, I guess I would just ask us to consider Jesus. Um, and not just consider him once or think about him once. You know, I, I don't shop a lot. There's a few things that I like to buy for myself. Um, I wear contacts, so I buy saline solution because there's one particular brand that will make my eyes burn. But other than that, I just want the cheapest bottle of saline solution to rinse off my contacts that I'm going to throw away at the end of the day. And Jesse, you didn't, didn't hear that, right? <laughs> so that's, that's all I'm looking for, but I don't want that one brand. And so when I go into Walgreens, I grab that cheapest bottle and I go. Now, when it comes to deodorant, it's a different matter for me. I, I 
sometimes I'll tell Debbie, you know, I need saline solution and trust her to get it, but when it comes to deodorant, I need to change it up because it'll start to make me get a rash if I use the same kind too long. I got to make sure it's got antiperspirant because I don't like perspiring all over the place. And I've got to make sure, you know, that it's a different brand than I had last time because I don't want to get a rash. And I got to make sure, you know, it's super clinical strength. Uh, and so it takes me a while. And I sit there and I, I consider it every time I go to the store. That's a little bit more like what we want to do with Jesus. And, you know, this is not just a consideration like we do when we make a purchase and we, we make the decision and we move on with life because we're going to see this passage is written to believers, holy brothers. It's a heavenly calling. And the author is saying, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus, not in your past, but daily. And then... The end of the passage encourages us to be confident in our hope, to hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And there's a lot of things that we put our hope in and our confidence in. And I've asked myself before, what are the things that if you took them out of my life today, I would be devastated? And those are the things that my confidence and hope are put in. And the author is saying our confidence and our hope should be in Jesus because we have something better than those other things, whether it's money, relationships, um, our abilities, our reputation, our family, all those things can be false hopes that can flee. So let's go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 3. And I'm going to just read through these first six verses And they will also be on the screen. I don't know if you can see them that far away. But it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Things, um, now Moses, verse 5, was faithful in all God's house as servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. So the first thing I want to point out that we haven't already talked about, that we alluded to, is that this is written to holy brothers. And partakers are those who share in a heavenly calling. So the individuals that are being spoken to are those who are called holy, set apart for God. And declared righteous. And that's what we stand in as believers. That's our standing. God, Romans 5 uh, or 3 tells us that, Romans 3 tells us that when we believe in Jesus, we are made right with God. We're made righteous. And God looks at us when we're standing in the faith and Jesus' work on the cross as righteous or holy. 
And so these are the individuals that the author is particularly addressing here, holy brothers. And so if you're here this morning and you've put your faith in Jesus' work on the cross for your, on your behalf, then this is written to you. So when it says, consider Jesus, like I said, this is not just talking to somebody who's unsaved that needs to really give some deep thought to Jesus for salvation. If you're in that condition this morning and you've never accepted the work of Jesus on the cross as a work for you, then you need to consider Jesus too. And you need to consider that there's no other way, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And so you need to consider Jesus. He's your only salvation. And then it goes on and it says that they share in a heavenly calling. So the heavenly calling, I put a couple verses up here that I want to just read first and then we'll talk about them. Hebrews 10, verse 1. I'm jumping ahead here, but hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler. It says, since the law, which is the Old Testament writings, uh, the, the law given through Moses, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. And I'm just going to stop there on that verse and then turn over to 2 Corinthians 4 and read verse 18. It says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. You might say, well, I didn't hear heavenly calling in those verses. But what the heavenly calling is, is we are called to pursue something that's not earthly. And we're called to pursue something that's even more real than what we can see. And that kind of goes against our natural mentality because we think if we can see something and touch it, taste it, hear it, that it's, that's real. But what we read in that second verse is the things that are seen are transient or they're, they're, they go away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So we are called towards heavenly things. The unseen things, that's what we're called for as believers. And so we can look around, we can see human power, we can see wealth, we can see property, we can see buildings, we can see even this earth, and we can think this is what life is all about. But God calls us to think of eternity. When those things will pass away, as we read in chapter 1, and Jesus remains, what will we have then? What have we invested? What are we investing today that has eternal value? Things like the fruit of the Spirit. Things like souls being saved for eternity in heaven. Things like our love and affection for Jesus. Things like our service of the saints. Are those things that we're investing in as people who participate in a heavenly calling? And then uh, that verse in Hebrews 10, 1, it says the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So there's good reason why the book of Hebrews takes things from the law, the commandments, the covenant, the sacrifices, the angels that delivered the message, uh, the high priests, 
all of these things and compares them to Jesus and says, all those things pointed to Jesus. All of those things are shadows of Jesus. Turn your attention from those to what's real. It's Jesus. All those things came in the form of Jesus. So this is what it means to be called partakers of a heavenly calling. Um, and so we are called then to consider Jesus. And it says in verse 1, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So there's, there's actually quite a bit in that little phrase. And I, when I first read through this passage, I kind of made a list of things in these six verses that you know, might need more explanation. And I came up with eight or nine right, right off of initial reading. And then as I've looked through it more, I'm like, oh, what about that? What about that? So hopefully we cover enough that the meaning is, is clear. But there's two offices, there's two positions that Jesus is referred to as having. One is an apostle. An apostle, sometimes we get that term mixed up with a disciple, a disciple is a follower. And there were 12 apostles, there were 12 disciples. Um, we are told to make disciples. We're not told to make apostles. But an apostle is someone who is sent from God with a very specific order to carry out. And so, you know, we read about uh, Paul refers to himself as the apostle to the Gentiles and as, to Peter as the apostle to the Jews. And no doubt each of those 12 apostles had a specific realm of service, a specific message to carry. We learn things from the Apostle John in his writings that we don't get in the letters to, from Paul, but they were apostles spent, sent for a specific purpose, and Jesus is our apostle. If we, and we'll talk a little bit about our confession, but if, if we are Christians, Jesus was sent for the purpose of forming the church, and I want to just jump back briefly to chapter 2. And Well, not yet, sorry. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about him being the high priest, because the apostle represents to us God's message to us. We receive something from God through an apostle. The high priest would go and represent the people to God, and one of the you know, there were a lot of priests that would present offerings, but there was one high priest that one of the distinguishing um, activities that the high priest did was to go in on the Day of Atonement and make atonement for the people's sins or to make payment for the people's sins. And all of those high priests up until Jesus came, they also had to make atonement for their own sins. So they had their own sins and the sins of the people that they made atonement for God in the presence of God. Jesus did not have any of his own sins. And we'll get, we'll get there later in Hebrews. But he still went in and made atonement for our sins. And he was made sin for us. And, and in that regard, he is our high priest. But we read last week in verse 14... And I'll just read that again now, 14 and 15. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, or have human form, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. In other words, Jesus became flesh and blood. 
so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. So Jesus, as God, the Son, unless he took on a body, he couldn't be made a sacrifice of sins and he couldn't go into death. A spirit doesn't die. But Jesus took on flesh and blood and he went into death so that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus, as our apostle, brought this message to us. He brought redemption from our sins. He brought deliverance from the power of sin. We're under bondage to obey sin apart from Jesus. But Jesus' death and his resurrection not only paid for or atoned for our sins, but in his resurrection, we are also raised. And we are given, through faith in his work, a new life that is capable of pleasing God. And so that bondage from sin, we can say no to sin now. And so this work of Jesus on our behalf as our apostle and as our high priest was beyond anything known to man up to that point. And so, consider Jesus. And so, our uh, confession then is when we, with our lips, say Jesus is Lord. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead victorious over sin, and I have life in Jesus. And I take on this name of Christ. I'm a Christian. That's a confession. And Jesus is the one who brought it to us, and he's the one that represents us to God so that we can live apart from the fear of death and sin that we were in bondage to until Jesus came. So, he said, consider this. And I was just, you know, Tuesday night talking to a group of kids and and we talked about how the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And uh, one of the boys raised his hands. He said, you mean to tell me that I'm this perfect angel and my dad says, here, take this cross, go up on the hill and die for all these people? I said, yeah, that's what God did. And, you know, I could just see the, I could see Sloan considering that. <laughs> and it put me to shame to some degree because here I was giving him this good news and he couldn't believe it. And when he, when he mirrored it back to me, I couldn't believe it either. I said, no, my, my dad wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. God did that. So as we consider Jesus, we need to stop and pause and consider. I've been saved many, many years, but I fail to consider Jesus. And when I fail to consider Jesus, I lose that sense of awe and appreciation for what he's done for me that I was seeing in, in this boy. You know, I don't know if that was the first time he had considered Jesus, but regardless, it was a good reminder to me. And so consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession 
as Christians. So then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now, Jesus is compared here to Moses. This is an amazing statement. It says, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Now, when I just read through that, because I've heard that a lot of times, I didn't think a whole lot of it. But then, what if I changed something in here? And don't, don't throw me out for blasphemy. This is just for, for sake of illustration. What if I said, Jesus was faithful just like Bob was faithful? You'd say, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why are you comparing Jesus to Bob in that way? Like, Bob is the standard for faithfulness? This is an amazing statement that God is making about Moses. So, yes, this, the point of our message this morning is to consider Jesus, but I want to consider Moses, too, who um, Jesus is being compared to here in a favorable way. So, you'll have to turn to Numbers chapter 12. And just for the context here, Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt towards the promised land. And he, he's clearly their leader. He's the one sent from God. He was sent after 40 years in the desert. God appeared to him in the burning bush and said, Moses, go lead my people out. And so, as they're going through this wilderness, his brother... Aaron and his sister Miriam get to thinking and they say, you know what? God gives us messages too. And it doesn't seem right that Moses has this prominent place in Israel and, and we're kind of like sidekicks here. So they kind of raise this issue and Moses says nothing. It just says he was the meekest man in all the earth. So he didn't defend himself. So what happens? God steps in and defends him. And then God says this about Moses in verse 6. He says, Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. So he's saying, you know, Miriam and Aaron, yes, I give, I give you messages sometimes. Sometimes I speak to you in a dream. I give you a vision, something to see that you can pass on, but that's not the way it is with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. So what we're reading in Hebrews 3 is a quote of this, that Moses is faithful in the house of God. But then he goes on and he says, With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. You get the picture there? God's saying Moses is somebody that I sit down with, and we talk back and forth. I don't give him some vision that he's to go tell people. We communicate face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth. He speaks, I speak. And we come to this understanding, and he is leading from that place of face-to-face communication with me. And I don't believe there's ever been a prophet like that before or since Moses, except for our Jesus. And so... Moses is given a very high commendation. You know, with the angels, says, well, the angels, they're just, they're just uh, 
you know, servants. And so Jesus compares, obviously, faithfully to serve, or favorably to servants. But with Moses, this introduction is that he's faithful in all my house. And so faithfulness means you do what you are told to do, right? And you do it in the spirit you are told to do it. And so Moses is given this approval, this commendation from the Lord as his servant. And so in this way, there's almost more of a comparison than a contrast between Jesus and Moses in their faithfulness. And so before we move on to other ways that he compares as greater than Moses, he says he was faithful in God's house. I just wanted to spend a, a few minutes here on God's house because it's referred to twice in our passage. And I'm not a Greek expert, but the, the word is oikos, I guess. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And it doesn't mean yogurt. It means the house of God. Oh, it does mean yogurt, I guess, in, in some context. But <laughs> um, So the house of God is not a building. It wasn't the tabernacle in the wilderness. It's not this building that we're sitting in this morning. It's, it refers to, I mean, sometimes we use the term household. If you've ever done taxes, there's this uh, checkbox you can say, are you the head of the household? And I don't know what that means, but it means you're the leader of a group of people, basically. And the IRS defines that somehow. Um, but in this context, it refers to the people of God. And specifically, in the Old Testament, Israel was identified as belonging to Israel through circumcision. And here we see, it in jumping ahead to verse 6, it says, We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. So, God's house today is those whose confidence and boasting is in the Lord. We've put our faith in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and we say, I'm living for that heavenly calling. I'm living for things yet to come, and so if things don't go well with me right now, that's okay, because this is not where my hope is. And my calling is up there, so the decisions I make in this life are going to seem crazy to people whose calling is down here. That is the house of God today. It's people. It's you and me, if our confidence and boasting is in the Lord. So Moses faithfully served people in the house of God who belonged to the nation of Israel and adhered to the commandments of God in that day. He served them, he led them, he brought God's message to them. He represented them to God. He interceded with God for them. Likewise, Jesus is in a role like that today. And he communicates to us. He has communicated to us through his word. He is the word. He's the living word. He sent his spirit down to teach us all things from it. He's our high priest. It says he's sitting at God's right hand, interceding for us approaching God on our behalf. He's our high priest. And so, just as Moses was faithful in the house of God, so also is Jesus faithful. And then it goes on, and it, it says um, in verse 3, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. 
And so Jesus was faithful, Moses was faithful. But here we see, you know, Moses served in the house of God, and it says Jesus has more glory than Moses, just the same way that a house does not have, that a builder has more glory than a house. So if I were to show you a picture of a house and say, you know, I bought this house, you might say, that's cool. If I told you it was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, you might say, oh, wow. Why? Because the house itself is not as big of a deal. The builder is a big deal. And if you see a big, there's a building downtown that's, I think, getting close to being finished, and it's a very unique building. Uh, I think it's going to be the headquarters for Come and Go, and it's, it's cool. But it's got the name of the architect, and I'm not even going to try to say who it is because I think I've forgotten it, in great big letters out in front. Why? Because the architect is going to, people that know about builders are going to look at that thing and say, Oh, really? He designed that? I think he lives in Italy or Europe or something. He designed that building. That is what it's saying here. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just like the builder of a house is worthy of more glory than the house itself. And so, what do we learn? Verse 4, it says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So here's a verse. If somebody has ever saying to you, I, I don't think the Bible says that Jesus is God. Well, this does. It says Jesus is the builder and everything is built by God. So Jesus, the comparison between Jesus and Moses gets more interesting here, doesn't it? Moses was created by Jesus. So every great thing that Moses did, everything that he was capable of, he did and was capable of because Jesus was his creator, God. Same with us. Everything that we can do, we can do because we are created by a great God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Then it goes on because there's another aspect here. Jesus, builder, greater than Moses, the house. And it says in verse Five, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify of the things that were to be spoken later. So one of the, just a, a note here, I think uh, Brooke read that verse where Moses said, there is a prophet that's going to come that's going to be greater than me. Moses spoke about Jesus, things that were to come later. But Moses was a servant. He was actually part of that house. So he faithfully served. And he re represented the people to God and God to the people. But he was part of the house of God. Well, Jesus, it says in verse um, 6, But Christ is faithful over God's, over God's house as a son. See the difference? Moses, part of God's house, a servant. Jesus over God's house as son. Now, when we talk about son, we're not talking about, you know, uh, a five-year-old who might be running in the around the house who is the son of the father and mother of the house. It, it's more probably uh, suggests the thought like if 
you know, if you see a business with a sign over and it says Johnson and Son, you know there's partners that own this business that work together. One's the father, one's the son, but they're partners and this is their business together. Jesus is son over his house. And so it says he's the head over his body, the church, which is also referred to as the house of God. So if you think back to what we're talking about and, and how it's referenced here, the house of God today is the church of God, and Jesus is the son. This is his house. This, by this I mean we. We are his house. He is God the son. He's not just a servant of God. Yes, he was sent by God. Yes, he served God. He came not to ser be served, but to serve. But he's the son over the house. He has authority in the house. He makes decisions about the house. So Jesus is greater than Moses in respect to the house of God. So then moving on to the, the last part of verse 6 there, it says, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So here, here we have an if, and I think you, you get some questions in Hebrews about the condition and the, the foundation of some of the people that are being addressed. And so is their faith real? That, that, that's called out a few times. If you turn back from your confidence, from your faith in Jesus, there's nothing left, it tells us later in Hebrews. So what marks those who have a heavenly calling? What marks those who are part of the true house of God? It's our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We have something that we are convinced of that is to come, and it's not, it is being with Jesus after we die. That's a, that's a great blessing and a great hope to look forward to, to be in heaven in the presence of God, where all is pure and holy and just, that's a great heavenly calling. But we also have confidence and hope that what we do today in obedience and in communion with Jesus, who is the son over his house, has eternal value. And so Paul says that he committed everything he did to Jesus to keep safe until that day of reckoning when all things would be evaluated. And he knew that he was seeking to serve Jesus. And even though many of the churches that he started were turning away from him, there were evil people coming in, teaching lies to the church, and he was in conflict for, for the truth of God. And things already that early in the church seemed to be crumbling in many ways. Paul said, I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. Paul was looking forward to a day in hope. So hope is something that is ahead of us. Sometimes we use the word hope to uh, refer to something that, well, I'm not sure this is going to happen. This is what I would like to have happen. But in the context 
of the New Testament, hope is not used in that way. Hope is used in the sense of something that I am confident is going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And we can hope against hope. We can hope against all the circumstances around us that may be coming against us, that might be saying, your faith in God is not really getting you very far, is it? Things are not going very smooth for you, are they? All those things you're working on are not working out the way you hoped they did. Is your hope in God? Is your hope in God? Because what we look around and see is fleeting, and it's passing, and it will be destroyed. But what we've committed to God will be there for eternity, and will be there to greet us when we go into the presence of God. And that's the confidence that a believer, a member of the house of God, has in our day-to-day trust in God. So, consider Jesus. Each day, consider Jesus. Think about the gospel. Think about what he's done. Open up his word and see what he says. See what he says is true about you. See why it's true about you. It's true about you because of him. Read the book of Hebrews over and over again. It will tell you so many things about Jesus. Read the book of John that explains who Jesus is and tells about his character. Read through Paul's epistles to see what kind of foundation Jesus built for his house. Consider him every day. Because as we consider him every day and we communicate with him every day, our confidence and our boasting in hope will grow. And that's the sign that you and I are part of the house of God. And I think that that is the message of these first six verses. Jesus is greater, greater even than Moses, who was a great servant and a priest in God's house. Jesus, the apostle, the high priest of our calling, the son over his house, the builder of the house, is our hope and our foundation and we can trust in him. So this morning, we are going to take the bread and the cup. And Jesus said that the bread represents his body, and the juice represents, the cup represents his blood given for us. But he also makes this statement. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So as we do this, let's consider Jesus. His work is the foundation of our standing before God. His work is the foundation of our future with God in eternity. And so this morning, as you take the bread and take the cup, remember what that represents. And if you know him as your Savior, we invite you to come up and participate in that as a remembrance of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and a consideration of him. If you don't know him as your Savior, I would also say to you, consider Jesus. Take this time to ask yourself, what's my confidence? What's my hope? Is it in something that can be taken away? The stock market? Is it in my job? Is it in my family, my loved ones? Is it in my possessions? Is it in my abilities? Physical abilities, mental abilities, all those things can be taken away in a moment. And then where is your confidence and hope?
you need a confidence and hope like I have, Jesus. So the band can come up. I'll give thanks for the bread and the juice, and then we can spend some time reflecting on Jesus through song and through the taking of the bread and the cup. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for our work on our behalf, your work on our behalf. Thank you for being the great apostle, the great high priest of our calling and our confession. Thank you for giving us a hope and a confidence, one that can't be taken away from us. I just pray for grace day by day as we live our lives that we would consider Jesus so that we stand in the boasting of that confidence and we aren't shaken by the fears of what's going around us, going on around us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this bread. It reminds us of your body, that you as high priest would offer your own body and your own blood as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. We take it, we remember you. In your precious name, amen.